might say to you, hey, how are you doing? And you might say back to me, something that's not true. That's typically what we do. We don't want to drag other people down, so we don't want to make them have to know all of our negativity. We don't want to complain. We don't want to come across as a complainer. So most of the time, we have surface greetings, and surface greetings are okay. But when it comes down to it, most of the time, the honest answer isn't really what flies out of our mouth when someone says, hey, how are you doing? When we say back, whatever it is we say back, it's usually not a fair assessment of really how we're doing. But it's difficult to go through what we're going to be going through in the Bible today and for the next few weeks, if the Lord permits, without actually evaluating how we're doing. Last week, we opened up 1 Peter, and the introduction, you can see it behind me in 1 Peter verses 1 and 2, but we paid careful attention to that line at the end, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's a great greeting. We're going through a series, Authentic Living Today. Today's message, it's kind of got two little things going on. Hope of grace, this is our time. Now, it's a really cool thing if you can have a charismatic personality stand up and say, this is our time. That, that could feel good. And, and we could uh, wrap stories around it and we could motivate each other by doing that sort of thing. And that's all well and good. But I think our text actually tells us this. So if you'll join me, why don't we open it up and pick up where we left off in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. There, there is a, there's a ton of theology mixed in here. I don't know if you've seen all of this before, but one of the main things I want you to pay careful attention to is Peter is intending to pay careful attention to the fact that our Father in heaven is blessed because of what Jesus went through so that we can have a hope eternal that is guarded by our faith. And what that, I'm going to show you a chart in a little bit, very briefly, but our faith is access to the grace of God. But our faith is something that is difficult to cling to because there are times when our faith will be tested. And as we go through the letters of Peter, you're going to see that this is something we're supposed to go through. But this faith, this faith is a special thing. And this idea 
that this, this wonderful thing is all revealed in the salvation of Jesus Christ that builds on that grace and the faith is a wonderful theological concept that I think most of you here already understand. So I'd like to move on to verse 6. We'll look at verse 7 as well. In this, you rejoice. Do you know what that word rejoice means? When you see the word joy, most people think, um, Christians, we think singing songs. That's what we think. Joy is connected to that. But joy is more readily connected to laughter. That, that's what joy is connected to. It's something you do when something is funny, when you are really happy. Joy, upon, upon joy, that's rejoice. See how it's, that, that's what that would be. That would be joy upon joy is what we're talking about here. And you can see as the verse begins, in this you rejoice. This salvation that came through Christ's suffering and his resurrection, which gives us hope of grace, that you have in your faith. Now, faith is one of those difficult things. And we'll see as we go through it, you'll see it becomes difficult as we go through life. But having faith in Jesus Christ, someone that we've not met physically here on this earth, spiritually, yes, it's something that requires something within us. And I hang on to this thought. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark, which is what a lot of theologians would teach. It is more a conscious step into the light. That's faith. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and Peter will explain later, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's writing to a large number of people. You remember we looked at the map. But he's inspired, and he knows he's inspired, to write this to us. And we haven't met Peter. Hopefully someday we get to. But we haven't met Peter. But he knows he's inspired by God to write to an audience that's much further than the geographic location that we identified last week by the maps. Do you understand it might be necessary for you to be grieved by trials. In fact, various trials. Oh, he'll give us more. It gets uncomfortable. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, see, that's what happens with, when you go through various trials, your, your faith is tested, whether it's genuine or not. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Isn't that interesting? Well, there'll be more on that may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is good stuff. How will it result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because when Christ is revealed to us, we understand, we know that our faith is substantiated even as we get dragged through various trials of many kinds. Move on to verse, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you haven't physically seen Jesus. You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Notice that, that is a cool thing that just happened there. It's almost like Paul's writings. Rejoice with joy. That's three times. 
Joy, joy, joy. And this is a weird thing. It falls in the context of Peter telling us that we're going to have to go through various trials of many kinds and have your, te- your faith tested to see how genuine it really is. But in th- through that, you have joy upon joy upon joy. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the people who express joy, they seem to be happy people. They seem content with whatever they're going through. Always able to laugh at difficult times. Those people, if, they, if you dare to find out their story, you'll discover have been through various trials. That's how they've learned to find joy in various difficult times. Joy upon joy upon joy. Christians of all people who ought to be the kind that light up a room when we go into it. The kind of people that we, when we enter a, a group of other people, other people feel that joy upon joy upon joy within us. And it becomes a thing they want. How do you get that? I know what you've been going through. How do you, how do, you do that? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, faith is the access to the grace. That's the biblical teaching. Not every church will teach that. Not every theologian and not every book you pick up and not every Christian channel that you turn to will tell you that. But it's what the Bible teaches. Now, I've mentioned uh, some mentors in the past. Another one I met, his name is Bob Martin. Bob Martin was an interesting character. He was a very odd duck. And by the way, so are you. Every one of us. Nobody is exactly like anyone else. We're all a little different. Bob was a little bit different more than most. (laughs) But he was a special kind of different. He was short in stature. He was very thin. He was a small man, but... He was a preacher. He'd only had uh, an associate degree in seminary. He hadn't studied very long in seminary, but he had a passion that was unwavering. He was very humble. If you talked to him, you would do most of the talking. But I, I saw Bob at a revival. Some of you don't even know what that is probably, but it's a gathering of a bunch of Christians, and typically, and sometimes they bring their friends and neighbors, and it, it builds up those that are faithful and brings in new but at this revival, and a revival is full of uh, singing and sermons. It's like church, but you do it through the week, not just on Sunday morning, and it builds. Well, Bob Martin was the evangelist, and that's when I began to get to know Bob. Bob preached a message that captivated me. The first message he preached He began simply by quoting scripture out of Genesis, and I recognized it. In the beginning, God created. You you recognize it too. And he did this as he went through Genesis, and then he picked a chunk out of Exodus, and he went through every book in the Bible. And as I was doing it, I I recognized most of it. That's like, oh, I know where that is. Oh, and I could just see sequentially he was going through. And he did fun stuff. Like he he got to uh, Song of Solomon and he lingered there because there's some funny stuff there, you know. 
Like, a, uh, like he mentioned, um, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon reaching toward Damascus. It's just a funny thing. It's a funny visual. Whoa, what in the world? Your waist is like a mound of wheat. What? This is, this is funny stuff. And he would go through, you know, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a woman with no discretion. Ha! As dead flies give a perfumer's, uh, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Stuff like that. And he would laugh and he would go through and he went all the way to the book of Revelation and filled up 45 minutes of a sermon. And at the very end of it, he looked at all of us and he said, don't you tell me you don't understand Scripture. And he was done. And I thought, wow, that was impressive. Never cracked open his Bible. He quoted all of it. Afterwards, I said, hey, do you do that like every time you preach? He goes, you kidding me? I can't do that every time I preach. That's just this message. But Bob was an impressive man. It was a few years later that I went to visit. They, he was at a, a church in Adrian, Missouri. They shut the whole town down because of what his church did. They did a live nativity. You've heard of these. But they had everything. They had camels and donkeys. They had, when you entered the town, you felt like you were entering Jerusalem in the first century. And, and you, they had guided people that would guide you to where you needed to go, and you wound up in the basement of the church. There were people bartering, trying to sell you fish. I mean, you felt like you stepped back in time at night. It was, it was amazing. And I remember going into the church building that had changed because they decorated it to make it look like the first century, and there was Bob. And Bob was simply walking back and forth, quoting prophecies. It was powerful. Someone actually stayed there one night for two hours just to see if he repeated himself, and he never did. That's impressive. Well, Bob Martin uh, became a mentor of mine. I, I admired him so much, and one day he was sharing a story with me about how he uh, led people to Christ. And because he shared with me how that happened, I embraced it, and it became something that I wanted to do as well, like Bob did. And, and it, it came out like this. Here's a chart up behind me. It's handwritten. That's my hand. And frequently, the way this has played out over 30-plus years of ministry since he shared this with me is when I'm talking with someone over the dining room table, whether it's a child or an adult or, and, and I've got a professional chart. This is just one that's handwritten. I, I like to handwrite it. But, in fact, I've got a PowerPoint presentation. We could do bullet by bullet. But I wanted to show you, we would, we would do something, I'd write it on a napkin or a, an envelope, or it doesn't matter, just write it. Or if I have a chance to get it to a dry erase board, I'll do that. And what Bob had done is he had taken what uh, Walter Scott had put together many, many years ago, and he put it in the form of these steps, and I've got that up behind me. We can talk about this in greater detail if you desire. But there are the steps in your salvation journey, and you can see grace is the overall encompassing thing. You see that I've drawn up there. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace you're saved through faith. And this is, not, this is a gift of God. It's not of yourself, so that no one can boast. So grace is... If there's any word you can narrow salvation down to, it's grace. Without the cross, my faith means nothing. But our faith is access to the grace, and I would submit to you that our spiritual journey, our faith begins at belief. It doesn't end there. James chapter 2 says, faith is worthless, useless, void, and a whole bunch of other negative ideas. 
faith is nothing unless you demonstrate it. You have to have an illustrated faith. And your faith process begins at belief, and it continues throughout the rest of your life. But these are key elements named in Scripture, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but up at the top, you'll see there's a, that's a treadmill. I know, my artistry is not that great. But that's a treadmill, and that's railing, and that's your journey that continues to heaven. And what you're promised, and just in case you don't know this, as you are on that spiritual journey, you, you need to understand it's not easy. Christianity is much more difficult than atheism or agnosticism or anything else. Christianity is difficult. And in that spiritual journey, you have to keep forging ahead. And yes, it's difficult. You've got things coming against you. That's why I've got a treadmill. It's going the other direction. If you stand still, you go backwards. You have to keep marching ahead. Keep on your spiritual journey or you go backwards. But there is one wonderful thing that happens in this faith process you see up behind me. The be baptized part, no other place in that spiritual journey does it say that you get the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so what happens at baptism, we are told, Acts 2.38, many other passages, uh, 1 Peter 3.21, there's a whole bunch, and we can talk about this another time if you'd like. But we're told we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is like railing on the treadmill. And when you feel like you cannot hold up anymore, you've got the power of God at your fingertips. I talked about this when we talked about the temple. Remember that? So now you've got another visual. Bob Martin kind of shared with me his idea of the steps, and so that's, I've used this, and by the time I was about 10 years into ministry, well over 100 people had been led to Christ just by simply drawing on napkins and envelopes. And if you dare to do something like that, it could be effective for you. Today, we, if the Lord permits, we'll get to witness a baptism, so that's special. We just talked about it, we get to witness it today. But I want to continue in the text. It continues in verse 10, and I'll read verse 11 as well. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, You've got to, I put the footnote up here, and I've got the, what it could be translated. It could also be translated what time or circumstances, not necessarily person. It, and it doesn't really matter, because what we know is the prophets tried to figure out the details about their prophecies. Now, prophecies, you do understand, prophecies quite often are given in figurative language. But prophecies always have a literal fulfillment. Always. And these prophets wanted to know the details about the prophecies, but they wouldn't get to see them fulfilled because they were the prophets. I want to read to you verse 12, and then I'm going to show you something else. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets understood their prophecies are for the benefit of people in the future. That's what makes them prophecies. They weren't serving themselves as they prophesied on behalf of God. They were prophesying for the service of you, the, the people that Peter's writing his letter to, which includes us. The prophets were serving us. And they knew this. It was revealed to them. 
In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels want to even know more about these prophecies. And they were given for our benefit, for us. That might not ring in your, it might not um, connect in your brain, but I hope you understand that means you are special. God gave prophecies for you. If you're hearing this today and you hear the preacher standing on the stage and he said, God gave these prophecies for you, I hope you take that very personally. We're all supposed to. The prophecies are for us, but not just us as a group, but each one of us as individuals. God has a plan for each one of us. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. I hope you can hear it as, not just as I read it in Scripture, but as you read it for yourself. Because really when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what God says and your response to it. God has a purpose for you. And the prophets, prophets that prophesied, I just want to show you a chart that I showed you last week because it's fresh in your mind. Here's the chart of the, of the statue. I'm not going to go over this. We already did. But this was a long time ago. This is around 600 B.C. So some 2,600 years ago, Daniel talked about this great tribulation that would come at the hands of a divided kingdom that would be Rome, and it did. Christians were persecuted greatly under Rome. You read in the book of Revelation more trials and tribulation, and you read throughout the New Testament. This is, the, this is what we can expect as Christians. And as we go through Peter, we're going to learn in very vivid language. It's, it's actually part of our own calling. I want to go back to that verse again. It was revealed to, to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. But we get to see them fulfilled in our own lives. The prophets wanted to know more about the details of these prophecies. The angels long to know more of the details of these prophecies, and we get to live them out. We do. That's special. Now, I showed a chart to you before. It's similar, but it's, it's only similar because of the shapes. I'm going to show you this chart up behind me right now. You have a start, and you have an end. And you have the process in the middle, and I want to I explain to you that if we think of this in this way, the process today that we're talking about is the struggles. And I'm using a soft word. We're going to use harder words as we go further through the letters of Peter. But these struggles represent now. This is life on earth in our lives. Now. So, we were born, there's the start, and the end represents eternity uh, for our purposes in our discussion this morning. So you understand that if we're aiming for eternity, it's necessary that as we go through life now, we have to endure struggles. It's part of the plan. 
And you might think that I'm taking this a little bit further than I should based on what we just read, but I'll give you a heads up. Peter's going to spell it out just like this. That's the way he's going to make it very clear. Our lives as Christians here on this earth are supposed to have struggles. It validates how genuine our faith is. Didn't Peter just say that? Didn't we just read that? Well, he makes it even more painfully clear as we move on, but we're, we're going to move on, if the Lord permits, in the weeks to come, and I think you will find great encouragement as we go through these passages together. But I will also tell you, I want to be clear, these struggles, this life now here on earth, these struggles, will, they will take you to a place where sometimes you're not even going to feel like being here in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not, you're not going to feel it. The devil is going to get you to a point where you're going to think, I'd just rather, just rather, rather not. Don't let him win. Go through the struggles. Some of us, it's harder than the rest of us. We don't talk about it, but how difficult it is just to get out of bed and to go through the process of preparing to get ready to get here and then getting here. It's not that easy, Pastor. I know it's not for some of us. But the struggles in life are something we're supposed to be going through so that we validate our faith and arrive at that eternity that Christ has prepared for us. I want to introduce you, because we talked, you know, you haven't, you haven't met Peter. You got to know him through Scripture. You, you didn't get to meet Jesus physically in the flesh here on earth. You get to meet him in the way that he's designed, but not physically. Peter told us that. You didn't. You didn't see him physically, but you believe in him and you love him. Can I introduce you to some, a couple of other people? And he, this could encourage you, so that's why I want to do that. The first one's name is Helen Lemmel. I don't know if you've heard of her. Raise your hand. You heard of her? Hey, we got somebody who's heard of her. Awesome. And there's a picture of her. You can see her lifespan up behind me. Stephanie's birthday is 1114, by the way, but not 1864. Uh, and she was born to uh, Methodist uh, parents. Her father was a preacher in England. And she, she's known for writing this song, The Heavenly Vision. I'm going to talk to you more about that in a little bit. But she, she actually wound up in Seattle. And when she was 12 years old, her family moved to the States. They, they ended up in Wisconsin. But she came to Seattle at a particular time, and she became the the music critic for the Seattle Post Intelligentsia. Isn't that cool? She went on, she, uh, she went to Germany. To, she became very respected as a singer, had a beautiful singing voice, but she wrote music, wrote songs, like the one I mentioned, but she hadn't written that one yet. While in Germany, she met a man, and, uh, a European man, and she, and she married him. She found herself back in the States. In fact, she ended up ultimately as the music teacher, the vocalist teacher at Moody Bible Institute. Yeah. But life hit, uh, sent her a tragedy, and the tragedy led, tragedy led to her being completely blind. And tragedy built. Her husband could not cope with her being legally blind, 
and he divorced her. And in those times, it's very difficult for a woman to survive on her own without a husband. But she did. She found her way back in Seattle, ultimately. And in fact, she ended up being a very active member of the Ballard Baptist Church, and that's where she died. She lived to be 97. But she was highly influenced by another lady she had never met. I'll introduce you to her. You can see her image come up behind me. Uh, Lilius Trotter. Have you heard of her? Yeah, she's very obscure in most of our minds, but I want want you to know who she is. You can see they lived almost in the same timeline. Um, But Lilius Trotter was born very, very wealthy, and she became a successful artist, but it bothered her that she, she wasn't committing her life to Christ fully. In other words, she thought her artistry was a distraction. She wanted to keep doing artistry, but she didn't want it to be her full-time thing. She wanted to be a missionary. And she actually did some work with Dwight L. Moody himself. Wow. But she wanted to be a missionary, and the way things worked back then, you had to submit applications and try to do this, and she was denied. She couldn't pass the health test. She was denied. You cannot be an official missionary for us. She felt the calling to go to Africa, North Africa. Specifically, she wound up in Algeria. And she, she was allowed to go because she was so wealthy. You're not going to be an official missionary, but because you can fund yourself, we'll let you. And she went there, and her goal was to convert people of Islam. The government didn't like her being there. She was with other women there. The government did not like them being there at all. They, they seemed to fight against them being there. They didn't know the language. They didn't know any people there. They didn't have anybody there helping them start a mission, and they had no training in how to start a mission. But they knew they needed to be there, so they were there. While they were there, as they were converting people from Islam to Christianity, it made people angry, so people began poisoning the converts with what she called mind poison. It caused their minds to go bad and ultimately killed them. But she found a way to rejoice when they would die because she said, they're far better in heaven than here on earth. But she wrote this line in a tract, and uh, in this tract, this is familiar to you, isn't it? So then turn your eyes upon him, look full into his face, and you'll find what the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. Now, this tract made its way to the hands of the other person. We can show her again, Helen Limmel. And she wrote the song, Heavenly Vision, which you know as Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Now, think about that for a minute. She became completely blind. Her husband left her, and she had to live in poverty for the rest of her life. But she remembered that line, and she wrote the song, The Heavenly Vision, which is, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Now, if there's anybody, you you haven't met her, you just kind of got to know her just now. But if there's anybody who can give us a good demonstration of what it's like to go through struggles here on earth, and yet be focused on Jesus. She's a good one. And she was blind. And she encourages us with a song we all know, 
to turn her eyes on Jesus. And the concept, keep in mind the concept that she borrowed, the concept was if you focus on Jesus, all the other stuff becomes peripheral. It becomes dimmed. So I say to you, how are you doing? You say to me something back, surface talk. <laughs> and when it comes down to it, quite often the answer isn't fine. Because, I mean, it, it might be what you say. But we as Christians, we go through struggles all the time. And that's the truth. But if we focus on Jesus, then the, all those other things become peripheral. Now, back to this idea of our life now, the struggles that we need to go through to get to eternity. We're talking about right here, right now, today. Are you relating to this? Are you going through struggles? Are you one that has a difficult time getting up out of bed just to get to church? You have to go through a process that most people wouldn't believe just to get here. Is that, do you relate to that? Do you relate to this idea that struggles, I've been going through struggles and one right after another, like the lady you were talking about. She goes blind and then her husband left her and she's all alone. You feel like that sometimes? feel like this, it just keeps piling and piling and piling. We're supposed to go through that. And God has a plan for us. Not just for us as a group, but for each one of us as individuals. He has a plan. And that plan includes, right here, right now, going through the struggles. It makes us stronger. It validates our faith. It shows people that our faith is genuine. Genuine. No matter what we go through, we have an undying commitment to Christ. And that speaks volumes to a world that doesn't know what it's like to have the kind of peace we have while we go through difficulties in life. Now, yeah, we're going through a series, Authentic Living Today. Are we really going to be talking about we're supposed to go through struggles? You bet we're going to be talking about that. In greater detail, we're going to peel it back and see what Peter has to say. And I'm telling you, he's going to help us be able to deal with the difficulties in life because he was given these words as inspiration for you and for me. Authentic living today. A hope of grace is in Christ because he suffered and he died and he rose again to demonstrate for us that we'll have to go through stuff too to meet him in eternity. This is our time. Peter told us so. The prophets and the angels, they all wanted to understand the details of the prophecy. We get to live it out today. People of God, if you're struggling, and I'm sure you are, that's okay. Because as you endure and as you, as you stay steadfast in your faith, you demonstrate the authenticity, not just of your faith, in that Jesus, the hope of grace, because of Jesus, is very tangible. It's real. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us your word. Every time we open it up, you have something for us. You teach us. You, 